0: revelation that you didn't have to do, that we might live holy and acceptable lives to the Lord Jesus Christ because of his grace. This morning, let us look into your word with anticipation and with delight, and we'll thank you for what we're going to find. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's um, start by reading chapter 11, and we'll read um, to keep the context Let's go from about uh, verse 10, and we'll read through 26. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 10. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. But what I am doing, I will continue to do that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. Again, I say... Let no one think me foolish, but if you do, receive me even as foolish, that I also may boast a little. That which I am speaking, I am not speaking as the Lord would, but as in foolishness, in this confidence of boasting. Since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. For you being so wise, bear with you the foolish gladly. For you bear with anyone if he enslaves you, if he devours you, if he takes advantage of you, if he exalts himself, if he hits you in the face. To my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison, but in whatever respect anyone else is bold, I speak in foolishness, I am just as bold myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so, far more, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers. Dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and in hunger often and thirst, often without food and in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is a daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. I read a little farther than that because it made more sense. So we finished up last week, and we didn't finish up. We began the three verses. We began. We were working towards the verses where Paul um, is no longer using irony, or or, uh, he's no longer not using irony or sarcasm. He gets right to the point, and he names these men what they are. He calls them in verse. 13, so 13, 14, 15, and 16, he says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And that has been with us down through history and continues today. There are many who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. They think they're not wearing a disguise in many cases, in most cases, but they are. If they deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, if they add to or subtract from the scripture, especially silly, silly doctrines that just make no sense. Well, any doctrines for that matter. They are false apostles and they are denying Christ. We talked about the four and there are there. You can make all kinds of lists, but I tried to to boil it down to four. Four things that every false teacher will do, false apostles will do. They will deny the identity and the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll deviate from proper biblical teaching. Some new unforeseen teaching that no one else saw in the last 2,000 years uh, I'm the only one that saw it and it's amazing to me that no one has seen that and and it's coming to the fore now because God gave me you that's, that's basically what happens and so we have Mormonism in the early 1800s God hid from everyone but a salamander the truth and I, if any of you have studied Mormon theology you'll know what I'm talking about Um <laughs> So they'll deny the deity and the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, they will generally be motivated by greed, lust, power, and fame. And not necessarily in that order, but they're all tied together. The love of money is the root of evil. And so because of their love for money, they also lust after power and fame and the things that money and prestige and purchasing power can bring in the world. The fruit of their lives will be wickedness. They will be exposed, if not here in the last times, they will be exposed. Number three, they will deny the Bible as the inspired and infallible Word of God. They will start at Genesis or somewhere else, and there will be some section or sections. Oh, and by the way, false doctrines don't come one little item by itself. They always come in a package. There'll be a package of false doctrines because you have to have this to support this. And, well, you've got to throw out that if this is true. And and so there'll be a picking and choosing throughout the scripture. They will reject the idea that God's word answers every question that is necessary to be answered. And uh, and unfortunately, much of this has crept into the Christian church where supposedly scientific inquiry has yielded to us the idea that Genesis is myth, that Genesis is uh, a story, it's a stylization. That is false. Genesis is fact. It says, in the beginning God created, and he said, and the evening and the morning were the first day. I mean, he couldn't have made it any clearer. Now, I'm anthropomorphizing this, so forgive me because I'm not God, but turns to the other three and he says, what can we do to make this word so clear that nobody can foul it up? And then the other two laugh. (laughs) They'll foul it up. (laughs) Give them two seconds and they'll foul it up. In the beginning... Starting there, men have rejected that. And once you reject that, once you reject the authority of Genesis, it's an easy stretch to begin rejecting many other places. Because Genesis is where everything begins. And so we've got to give credence to every part of the Bible. Number four, they will claim their own authority, and, they'll be ref- and they will often refuse to be subject to spiritual authorities. They won't be f- subject to their own body. You do realize that the elders, in many respects, are subject to you. If, if you, as Bereans, <clears throat> discover that one of us has been teaching false doctrine, it's incumbent upon you to do something about that because nobody else will. You're the nobody that will. Or you're the somebody that will. And everybody who is in a position of responsibility is subject to the teaching of the Word of God. If they will not be subject to that, then they need to be disciplined. Church discipline needs to take place. They will often as well take on special titles, bishop, apostle, father, or others. And we we see lots of that today. The New Apostolic Reformation. These men are calling themselves apostles with a big A. Now, as we all know, the word apostle can, in Scripture, designate just an emissary. But when we're talking about the original apostles who actually saw the risen Christ, there were only the ones that are depicted in Scripture. And at the end of the apostolic era, no more of those kind of apostles have ever appeared because it's been unnecessary because we have the finished word, as Peter said. We have a more sure prophecy right with us right here. This is the word of God. So with that said, let's move on to our next section. Actually, that's not the next section. It's just of continuation where he says that uh, in verse in verse 13 for such men are false apostles deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ and then he says and no wonder for even satan disguises himself as an angel of light where's the first time he did that in the garden in genesis and isn't it remarkable that if we if we dismiss that book how much we dismiss We dismiss the fall. We dismiss the fact that we are depraved individuals who will every single time without the grace of God choose darkness, all of us, everyone that's ever populated the planet. No wonder for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Continuing with his stern denunciation of these wicked men, Paul compares themselves, Paul compares them to Satan himself. Now, isn't that kind of uncomfortable? he would call them out that badly. These men are emissaries of Satan, he said. They're not just mistaken. They're leading believers away from the truth. They're emissaries of Satan. They are the type of people that will adopt any disguise necessary to confuse or subvert those whom they purport to serve. One of Satan's best tools is deception. Deception flows out of his character as a liar. And thus, those who would deceive the church, whether knowingly or unknowingly in some cases, for many have so thoroughly believed their own lies that they've come to believe they are truly a messenger of God, when in fact their message is perverse. Those men are dangerous. They are not to be trifled with. They are to be exposed as liars and charlatans. In Matthew chapter 4, Satan himself... Comes to tempt to to attempt to subvert the word work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he guess what? He even quotes Scripture correctly. Do you think he knows the Word of God? Absolutely, he knows the Word of God. There's no surprises in there. He just hates it. He hates it with a, a passion we cannot imagine. I'm going to read uh, Matthew chapter. We're going to go through Matthew chapter. Four verses 1 through 10. Just look at it real quick. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, then he became hungry. And the tempter, at this point of weakness, came to him and said, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones become bread. But he answered and said, Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So, just as an aside here, what did Jesus use to counter the false statement that, or the statement that Satan made? He used scripture. And that's some of the things we need to remember as well. Yes, science is wonderful and important and math and all those things, but at the end of the day, it's the gospel that will change men's heart. Yes, mathel One of the things that you is
1: that very often the false teachers will actually bring in something from scripture. Yes. That can be pointed to, see what see what God says, and and then they twist it, but it confuses people because Satan's a great counterfeiter.
0: He's an excellent counterfeiter. <laughs> People, Nathella's mentioned that people will bring in something from scripture and then twist it. Context and proper hermeneutical application is so important because we can, we, you, <laughs> I remember when Walter Martin one time was demonstrating how easily it was, easy it was to just kind of go through the Bible and come up with your own. And he, he went like this. He flipped and he said, and, and Jesus said, what thou doest, do quickly. And he turned the page and he says, and he went out and hung himself. Yeah, it's an old story. And you can, you can do that. You can flip through scripture and, and just pick and choose and, and make all kinds of interesting doctrines that have absolutely no truth in them. But you can confuse many. And it's unfortunate. The relationships that people develop, often they're afraid that they, they, this person wouldn't do that. Every single one of us is subject to the flesh. Every single one of us. Brian.
1: There's old saying that if you distort the scripture, it'll confess to anything.
0: Yeah, if you distort the scripture, it'll confess to anything.
1: And then another man, I don't know said it, scripture is like a lion, unleashing power. But...
0: And it will defend itself too. Yes. So then, then Satan says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God... Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So Satan quoted scripture correctly there, but he misused it to try to get Jesus to do something just absolutely unnecessary and stupid. Why would Jesus need to do that to prove who he was? Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And here's where a lot of, the, a lot of people fall. Most people fall. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. <laughs> Marvelous response. Marvelous response. And so Satan was dispatched summarily by the word of God. Not, yes, by Jesus himself, but by the word of God. He could not, he could not bring anything to bear on Christ out of scripture. And so he had to leave. For instructional purposes, notice a few things from this passage. Satan waited until Jesus was tired and hungry to come to. And then he suggested something that was not out of the ordinary. Go ahead and get something to eat. You're okay with that. He suggested that Jesus would eat. Now, of course, he insisted that Jesus use his divine power to facilitate the eating, and that was certainly not in keeping with what Jesus had come to do. Notice also that the devil seems to be able to transport Jesus around at will. So he does have great power, and we should not be forgetful of this. Next, he correctly identifies Christ as the Son of God, even though in an oblique way. And then he correctly quotes Scripture, although misusing it just to prove His own incorrect point. Christ counters with scripture correctly, quoted correctly, and correctly applied. Finally, Satan, um, finally, Satan seeks the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that is, let's, let's, let's put our cards all on the table. Basically, when people elevate themselves above scripture, they are elevating themselves above Christ. And that is blasphemy. That is blasphemy. Satan is seeking the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the things that false apostles will do. They are able to correctly read people, and in many cases, and they tailor their deception. They think that they have great power, although that is a delusion that they live under. They will often correctly quote scripture, but it will be misapplied and misused. This is the deception of a false angel of light. They bring light, but it is not the true light. A candle might light your way, but the sun is a far better illuminator. The light these false apostles brought to Corinth was a false light, and it led many away from the truth, both in and out of the, out of the, um, both believers and unbelievers. So it's not, what I'm saying is, is we as believers who have studied the scripture for, for years, in many cases decades, must always be careful to pay attention to what scripture says, to prayerfully approach it, To to treat it with respect and to interpret it contextually and hermeneutically correct, because we can be led astray. It's happened to all of us, even in small ways. But small deceptions lead to big deviations. Eventually, they really do. A small wedge can can widen a doorway that that will allow you to that will cause you to walk down a path that you never would have anticipated. You'd walk down, and so that's why we need accountability too. Accountability with one another. So it's not surprising. It's it, Paul, And that's why Paul says, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Any other comments about verse 14 before we move on? Verse 15, therefore, following after these things, it is not surprising if his servants... Also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be, will be according to their deeds. And I've already alluded to this, that, that the followers of Satan, the false apostles, disguise themselves as well as servants of righteousness, as angels of light. The word surprising comes from the Greek word from which where we, get, we get the word mega. You could actually translate this. Well, it's no big thing then. If his servants also disguise themselves, if Satan does, it's no big thing that his servants will also do the same thing. In the same way that the great deceiver disguised himself throughout time to pervert the way. They pretend to serve righteousness when in fact they are actually truly serving unrighteousness and serving themselves. And ominously, Paul reminds the Corinthians, and because those false apostles were still among the Corinthians, he reminds them that their end will be in keeping with their wicked deeds. Their names are not written in the book of life, and thus they will suffer the same fate as the great deceiver. And what is that fate? Then I saw Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who was the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. And after these things, he must be released for a short time. Then in chapter 20, again, in verses 11 through 15, then I saw a great white throne. And him who sat upon it, from whose presence heaven and earth fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If any man's, anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, He was thrown into the lake of fire. That's their end. And it's right to remind people of that. There are those who say, we don't want to hear hellfire and brimstone sermons. (laughs) I would rather hear about the hell and the brimstone than than spend eternity in it. Uh, And so, thus it is that uh, we don't want our ears tickled here, I hope. Although Paul was not trying to to use shock treatment on the Corinthians, this certainly should have shocked at least some of them those who were believers, it must have woken them up. Because as we've mentioned earlier... After, after this period of time um, in the 50s, the Corinthians are not heard about again until the a- AD 95. It seems like the church really, really came to its senses and cleaned up its act, if you will. The Lord cleaned up their act. They had in the midst of them, in the midst, men who were teaching perverse things and would end up in the lake of fire. They had men in their congregation teaching things that would send those men and any that believed it to the lake of fire in a Christian church. That happens today. It happens today, especially amongst the prosperity gospel preachers. <laughs> if all you're after is money, just go get it and leave God alone. Keep leave him out of it for crying out in the sink. So. They would end up in the lake of fire. Paul was not given to improper hyperbole. This should have brought to mind this teaching that Paul gave to the Corinthians in the Corinthian church through this writing, through this epistle, should have brought to mind the teaching of the Savior himself in Matthew chapter seven, where Christ describes how, um, where he describes how the Father will deal with false apostles. Matthew chapter seven twenty one through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The things that they did that they thought were great because they were done by disguised apostles, false apostles, were actually lawless. They were practicing deeds of lawlessness, not just mistakes. They were unrighteous deeds. They were deeds that earned them, if you will, the lake of fire. And that's, that's kind of the, the thrust that Paul is giving here. He's trying to wake these people up in the Corinthian church that are succumbing to these false teachings, And it's just, it's kind of cool to be on the forefront of some kind of new idea, new for the, 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 what do you call them? The trailblazers. Nobody's ever thought of this before. Well, you know, it's, it may sound boring, but it's not, but pretty much every doctrine that's ever been properly brought from the scripture has, has, is with us over the last 2000 years. There's nothing new under the sun. What there is, is us learning how to correctly apply it and obey it in our lives and bring glory to the Lord. That glory that you bring to him in your life is new glory that no one else ever brought to him. That's something, and that itself is not of you. That is of him as well. And that's what we should look for. Not to boast in ourselves, but to boast in the Lord, as Paul said earlier. So then... Um, as we finish up this little section here, which, which ends pretty much in verse 16, he, he talks about foolishness again. He says in verse 16, Again I say, let no one think me foolish, but if you do, receive me as foolish, so that I also may boast a little. Paul, it grinds on him that he has to do this comparison, this placement of comparisons between himself and the false apostles. He shouldn't have to do that. The Corinthians should know better. But they have been perverting the gospel so badly, perverting the truth so badly, that he feels it's incumbent upon him to remind them about who it was that God sent to them and what what, uh, what kinds of things had to be endured to bring the gospel to the Corinthians, the real gospel. So from verse 22 of this chapter to, to verse 13 of chapter 12. So 11, 20, 22 to 12. Uh, to 1213, 1122 to 1213, Paul will be presenting his apostolic credentials. He will be, I'm open quote, the little quotes, boasting, if you will. This is something that he was loath to do. He preferred to simply teach the word of God. Boasting was propellant to him. And such, and and as such, this next section caused him great discomfort. And he talked about it all, he talked about it quite a bit earlier about the foolishness that the Corinthians would endure and how they would endure even people that enslaved them. He's going to talk about that as well. Prior to that, though, he one more time, one more time, before he goes into this litany of his, his accomplishments, if you will, he reminds the Corinthians of his reluctance to brag. The Corinthian acceptance of the false apostles and their perverse teachings made it necessary for Paul to remind them about his credentials, who he was, And what he did for them. In this verse, he allows the boasting is foolish. He did not want the Corinthians to ascribe to him the same kind of foolishness that the false apostles were displaying. In everything, he tried to distance himself from them as much as possible. Remember, they were claiming equality or even superiority to Paul himself and to Paul's message. Must not be much of a message if he doesn't charge for it. Remember that? Must not be very important if he if you don't have to pay for it. You get what you pays for. That's what they were saying. And he don't charge, so you're getting nothing. Complete false. Completely false. Here he asked the Corinthians to grant him the same privileges they were granting to those perverse men. At least listen to him with the same attention. In this he said, I will only boast a little. So, any comments before we plunge into the boasting? Yes.
1: You know, because false prophets, false teachers are so prevalent in biblical days and here again today in uh, 2019, every New Testament <laughs> has warnings about false teachers. Every one of them. Every one. Strong warning.
0: Yes. Yeah, there are plenty of warnings in the New Testament about false teachers. Um, and in, in the book of Acts as well, there's plenty of warnings about it in, in, the, in Luke's history, if you will, of the early founding of the church. Um, It's a danger that will always be with us right to the end. There will be those people who, when the Lord comes back and they see it happening, they'll stick their fists in the air, Revelation says, and call down the mountains upon them rather than bend the knee. That's who we're dealing with. People who hate God. They hate him. They don't believe him and they hate him. (laughs) Referring back to verse one, he says in verse 17, he says, what I am saying, I am not saying as the Lord would, but in foolish, as in foolishness in this confidence of boasting. So referring back to verse one, where he asked the Corinthians to bear with him in a little foolishness, Paul continues his defense. He apologizes, he apologizes here for having to resort to what he considers foolish, the foolishness of boasting. He is in effect answering fools according to their folly. This does not mean, this does not mean when he says this, I'm not saying as the Lord would, this does not mean that what he is saying here is not inspired. Paul had the Lord's permission to write what he does, but he owns that this is not the usual way his servants are expected to speak of themselves. How would you like it if I stood up here and told you all about me and how wonderful I am? I hope you would get rid of me so fast my boots would still be here. That's what the Lord doesn't want his servants to spend their time retailing themselves and their adventures, all of us struggle against that. He wants us to exposit and to study His Word and Himself and to love Him. So Paul is—he's is, is, reminding. He keeps reminding them, "I'm going to have to engage in some foolishness." So he is, in effect, as I said, answering fools according to their folly. So this, as well, is Scripture. One commentator put it this way: We must not conclude from this verse that here we have a part of Scripture which is not inspired. Paul had the Lord's permission to write as he does, but he owns that this is not the usual way. His servants are expected to speak of themselves. Had any other course been hopeful of success, this one would have never been taken. The wise acres at Corinth had fed too long at the table of fools to relish the normal diet of saints. So he is compelled to set before them what they can digest, even though he himself regards it as unpalatable. Further, interestingly enough, there's a number of Greek terms. One one of the interesting things about the richness of the Greek language that that the Holy Spirit chose to write, write the New Testament in is we can have a very accurate assessment of what went on in the sentences they wrote um if we do a little study he he, uh, he this this particular word is not the word that you would call that they, um an idiot this is not the foolish word the word foolishness that can be translated also as an idiot it is a word that it's not a moron or a dimwit but rather someone who no longer has the correct sense of himself nor the word around, world around him he's not he's not correctly assessing himself He thinks he's more than he is. That's what these false apostles were. Or in some cases, people think they're less than they are, which is often the very same thing in a weird, perverse way. But I'm not going to get into psychology here. (laughs) This person is not a dimwit. He's not a moron. He no longer has the correct sense of himself or the world around him the irony would have been lost the irony in his, in this would not have been lost on his readers paul is dealing with men who had no sense of what was right or wrong but were just forging ahead for their own game and making what they said right what i say is right you need to believe me i have this from the lord himself those kinds of things hello this is from the lord himself everything else is is just words. This statement is just as inspired that Paul just made as anything else Paul wrote. Paul is disgusted with the fact that he has to deal with the false apostles in this way, but it seems to be the most effective way to get the Corinthian church to understand what they are allowing right in their midst. Foolishness, foolishness, foolishness. And if that is what they're looking for, they will get some rung from Paul in order to set them straight. Charles Hodge in his commentary said it this way. All the expression implies is that self-praise in itself considered is not the work of a Christian. Self-praise in itself is not the work of a Christian. It is not a work to which the spirit of Christ impels a believer, but When it is necessary to the vindication of the truth or the honor of the religion, it becomes a duty. So Paul has to give a comparison of himself to these false apostles so the Corinthians will be able to see the difference. And remarkably, it was effective. Now he says, here's where it comes. Here's where the, the beginning of the boasting comes. Verse 18. Since many boast according to the flesh... I will, I will boast also. The false apostles spent their time bragging about the things that were not true, that they had spent time, uh, they had not, they had spent no time. They, were, they spent their time bragging about things that weren't true. They had spent no time delivering the gospel to the Corinthians. Indeed, they had no litany of abuses they endured to bring to the gospel, to, to bring the gospel to the known world. They didn't struggle to bring this to Corinth. They just drove up there and made a mess is what they did, or rode up there and made a mess. But, well, they might have been in a carriage. Might have been in a carriage. They were con men peddling the word of God for gain only. Paul continues his disclaimers before he actually begins to explain to the Corinthians the qualifications he had and the difficulties he endured by God's grace to bring the gospel to the world. Their boasting was according to the flesh. That is, he says, according to human nature. Since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. He's going to boast, but not according to the flesh. Their boasting was human nature-driven and according to the flesh. It was fleshly. For you, Corinthians, being so wise, you tolerate the foolish gladly. That had to be a marked rebuke to hear. I mean, I don't know how this was. Imagine you guys tolerate stupidness gladly. How would you feel if I said that to you? I'd be dead. <laughs> this is a pack in church. I'd be dead. <laughs> they had to have been startled. I hope. Well, obviously, it's past tense, but they were. <clears throat> so throughout this entire section, as Paul builds up to his defense of his apostolic authority, he continually uses irony and sarcasm other than the, than the section from 13 to 15. Here again, he speaks as though acknowledging what others are saying about him. That by comparison to the self-proclaimed false apostles, he has been weak. I jumped ahead. So, back up. Ignore what I just said. Can you all rewind? Rewind. Verse 18. Since many have boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. The false apostles spent their time bragging. So, his boasting was not according to the flesh. Theirs was. He called them... (laughs) Earlier on, he said, "You tolerate this foolishness gladly." He, the Corinthians had to had to understand, and he says it here as well. For you, being so wise, tolerate the foolish gladly. So now he has a bit more sarcasm, or maybe it's not. I'm not so sure it's sarcasm, but a lot of commentators think it is. Did you have something, Brian? Paul
1: already said something to this effect in verse three. He says, "But I fear that somehow the servant is seen." By his practice, so your mind is made Then in verse four, he says, "His fear is that you're going to put up with it."
0: And they do put up with it. He's repeating it, and and in many cases, you, you've heard good preaching is tell him what you're going to tell him, tell them and then tell him what you told him. That's what Paul's doing here. He tell him what he's going to tell them. He's telling them. and now he's going to tell him what he told them. I called you out. I told you you were foolish. It's foolish to bring these men into your midst. It's even more foolish to listen to them. But you tolerate them very well. You tolerate stupidity very well. This is, in fact, no expression of wisdom. In fact, tolerating foolishness is foolishness itself. And that is what he is attaching to those Corinthians who would believe false apostles. He is saying, if you gladly tolerate foolishness, you're foolish. You are foolish, and so therefore, Paul's not afraid to to say what needs to be said, even to people that are beloved to him, even to people that he loves very much, that he cares a great deal for. He calls them out for their foolishness. Then he says in verse twenty, "For if you tol- for you tolerate, you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, if anyone inv- devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself." And then one of the great evils, anyone hits you in the face, enslaves, devours, takes advantage, exalts over, hits you. These are not descriptive works, descriptive words that envision a servant leadership that loves and cares for those it serves. Yes?
1: What do you mean by hits?
0: I think he meant just what he said. I think there was some physical things going on. I, I think in many cases, when people get into a position like that, and there begins maybe to be a little bit of subversion under them that they don't like, they'll resort to physical violence. They will resort to physical violence. Uh, there's no, when we get to that, there'll be a number of different commentators that thought different things. Some people thought it, it had to. Uh, it was. It was metaphorical. It could have been. I personally think that they were whacking people who were not agreeing with them. So. So these are descriptive of foolish, the foolish and wicked ones that the Corinthians were gladly tolerating. These are the false apostles and their lifestyle exposed. So to enslave in the Greek is to put someone under bondage, under stern bondage. This is reminiscent of the whips in the, in the 1800, early 1800s south of the United States. Um, Disregarding the fact that there might have been some good slave owners it's there were, this is this calls to mind physical abuse um, and here it 's pretty much metaphorical, but they were in, the, the false apostles were enslaving the Corinthians they were lording it over them, and the Corinthians were gladly tolerating that so To devour, interesting Greek word, which has a financial overtone, and it means to plunder someone and to steal from them, taking what is not yours. So to take advantage is to lay hold of something or someone in order to use it for one's own purposes. And to exalt oneself is to place yourself over others, superior to and more important than others in every respect. That doesn't sound like servant leadership to me. Not at all. To strike someone would have been considered the ultimate insult to the pugilistic Greek. It is uncertain, but it sounds as though some of these false apostles were actually physically intimidating some of the Corinthians. It may be metaphorical, but nevertheless, those in Corinth who submitted to this, to these diabolical teachers, were allowing themselves to be humiliated. There's a humiliation that goes along with this. Yes, Nafel.
1: It seems to me that Paul is speaking so clearly all the way through this chapter and talking with the prison, why would he suddenly do something metaphorical? It seems to me like he's saying exactly what he thinks and
0: exactly what's happening.
1: Yeah. So it's not metaphorical.
0: Yeah. I personally don't believe it is. I think that there was something going on in some cases when people who are, who are in self-imposed, self-assumed authoritative positions are challenged, they can become physical. They get angry. I don't like you, I don't like you challenging my authority and so i'm going to do whatever i have to do about it and if words won't put you down well then maybe a couple of good swift kicks to the nose will you know and so that's what was i think that's what was going on in some cases and that's and paul says they tolerated it gladly gladly yes why wouldn't they just i you know there's a there's a dynamic that goes on in in um, churches that are populated by unbelievers and taught by false apostles that we can't really i think fully understand anecdotally or here because we haven't had it but there's they want the teachers to be right because they've been believing it this stuff more and more for a long time and to stop believing it is telling myself what a fool i've been to make the change it's really difficult. It's kind of like what happens when a friend gets into political office. A good friend gets into political office, and he starts doing things that are not constitutional. You, you, you don't want to call. He's your buddy. You, you, his nephew works for you, and and his mother and your mother went to school together. And and I, I can't do anything about this. Just somebody else will do it. And that's kind of what. That's some of what happens. Um, and so that's, I think that's some of the dynamic that was going on in this church. There were people that would just, they let their relationships get in the way of the Word of God. Our relationships should be founded on the Word of God. They should be based on the truth. And that means that in a loving way, we all have the right to bring before our brothers or our sisters in a proper way, in a prayerful, proper way, any deviation they are making from the Word of God. They wouldn't do this. It, some did. Apparently, they got rid of them because for 50 years, we don't hear anything more. 45 years, we don't hear anything more. And that's just a, that's an assumption that a lot of commentators make. We don't have anything written in stone that says that, well, the Corinthians finally came around and started worshiping the Lord properly. But we do know that until Clement writes to them in 95, not much went on. So we'll finish up here. But the word that is used, the only other, this particular word for enslave um, by the way, the first word, to enslave in the Greek, the only other place it's used is in Galatians chapter 2, 4, where it refers to the Judaizers' enslavement of the Galatian believers. And you remember what Paul said about them. Devours, this next word, devours, is reminiscent of a lion or a bear, killing and eating prey. The Lord Jesus Christ used this term when he described the Pharisees devouring widows' homes, taking from the most helpless what they, the only thing they had, and gleefully using it for your own for your own ends that 's what these people were like paul is and, and none of this would have been lost on the corinthian uh, corinthian believers corinthian church it 's probably a reference to the false apostle 's demands for money. He gets what you pays for. you pay for us we 'll do you right you don 't pay for us we 'll move on, only they didn 't move on. Improper toleration generally results in wicked people taking advantage of and exalting themselves over the ones that are following. Finally, the ultimate, the ultimate humiliation is physical threats and force. This is what the Corinthians were gladly tolerating. One can clearly see why Paul was so anxious to get the believers in Corinth out from under these wicked despots. These are men who believe they knew best. Their word was law, and any insubordination would be summarily dealt with. The opposite of proper leadership, the opposite of servant leadership. A person, if, if your leadership won't help you clean the toilets, hopefully he's just too dumb to know how, and you can teach him. But if he won't, that's not the kind of people you want in leadership. These Corinthians were gladly suffering foolish men to teach them. And Paul is bringing that to the fore. And I imagine as this epistle was brought to Corinthians, to the Corinthian church, that as it was being read or disseminated through the, through the, to the believers there in letter form, many of them were having their eyes open for the first time, maybe. No kidding. What have we, what have we been doing? What we have been, we have been Shaming the Lord Jesus Christ. That should be the first thing that comes to mind. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited that Paul was not afraid to do this, not afraid to do this, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for sure. So they're not going to tolerate it anymore. I'm hoping they're not going to gladly suffer people to enslave them, to devour them, to take advantage of them, to exalt themselves over them and to hit them. They're going to change. They're going to come back to the straight and narrow, the true Word of God and they're going to begin to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and not these false apostles because that's who they were serving they were serving men not the Lord and time men call you to serve them in a church in a believing church it's wrong it's unrighteous so any comments or uh, anything else before we close yes I Jason just to say that it
1: wasn't that many years ago that there was the lake on the
0: Right. Yeah. And, and didn't he kick a baby or a, something? I mean, and, and people, and you know, wasn't there someone in that audience that would have gone, hey, do that again, mister, and I'm going to break your leg. There should have been, or maybe not quite that excited, but nevertheless, they tolerated it. And that's a good good example. That's that's an example of what we will tolerate. I, to my shame, this will take too long. So just suffice it to say that when I was a very young Christian, I played the piano in a slaying in the spirit service. And my eyes were this big. And I think I made 23,000 mistakes in Amazing Grace. But I didn't have the courage to walk out. Afterwards, I, I confronted some people. But I didn't have the courage to walk out. There it is. There it is. I was like two years into the Lord. Still in my real excited stage, though. I mean, if I, today? Well, today I wouldn't have been in there in the first place. But that's what happens. And And the guy was knocking people down. Knocking people, slain in the Spirit. Anybody ever heard of that? Oh, yeah. Knocking people down. And I'm playing... And I think if my eyes got any bigger, they would have fallen out. And, and I remember the person that invited me looked up at me. They didn't know what was going to happen. They looked up at me and they went. <laughs> and so none of us left, though. We didn't leave. Chickens. That's what we were. We were chicken. Really. But and, and really last, quickly last, as I looked, some of the people that are laying there on the floor, I'd see them open their eyes, look around, then close their eyes again. <laughs> You know, that was my first experience and last with that kind of stuff. But all the, all the humor aside, this is what the Corinthians were tolerating. They were tolerating false teaching. And it may have been out of fear, may have been out of, uh, out of being, um, lack of courage, whatever it was. But Paul is calling these men out. He wants to free the Corinthian church that he loves to come back to service to God. And that is what a true teacher of the Word of God will want for everyone that is, is, they are responsible for and responsible to. To see them joying in serving the Lord, not serving them. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org.